I want to start today by talking about something um, that I am most thankful for, and that is the Life Christian Church. I discovered TLCC after driving past this small storefront church in, on Main Street in West Orange, literally hundreds of times, drove past the church. Uh, and at that time in 2007, uh, the church was situated between a liquor store and a pub. I didn't really have much interest in going in at the time. Also at the time, my son was in kindergarten and my wife thought, this kid needs God. He was acting up a lot and I knew he needed something for sure. So she started visiting churches in the area and eventually she walked through the doors of the Life Christian Church. Well, the people of TLC, TLCC definitely made an impression on her because she brought me back the following week kicking and screaming all the way. Now, at this time in my life, I didn't think I needed God. I knew my son did, I didn't think I did. Um, what I needed at that time was a job. The truth is I was lost. I had been out of work for more than a year, uh, but more than that, I'd lost sight of my value as a human being and as a man. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I could do. Um, my life that year seemed like one long series of professional failures and personal disappointments. But at TLCC on that very first day, I experienced a wonderfully welcoming atmosphere from our absolutely amazing First Impressions uh, people. So I want to give a shout out to the First Impressions people. The work you guys do is very important. You don't even know how important it is. Uh, there was also, of course, always fantastic music that day, and Pastor Terry gave a very powerful teaching that day. I still remember what he taught about. His sermon was unlike any sermon I'd heard before, and I was hungry for more. So I kept coming back. And since that time, I've met people uh, here at TLCC that have become lifelong friends, and most importantly, I eventually gave my life to Christ. So now, over the course of my almost 13 years attending TLCC, I have felt found by Jesus, although I know Jesus doesn't really find people. He's always there, he always has been, he always will be. But I've opened my eyes and my heart, and I can appreciate the amazing blessing that having Jesus at the center of my life is. So I am eternally grateful to TLCC for being the catalyst that opened my eyes to the immeasurable value of living a life centered around Jesus. Okay, so let's dive into the, uh, the topic at hand today. That's the power of thank you. So I'm gonna specifically focus on being thankful in the midst of adversity. You know, when you think about it, it's relatively easy to feel grateful when things are going well, when life is going the way that we want it to go. It should be easy. The, the problem is that we don't always think about it. We don't always take the time to express gratitude when we're busy rushing off to the next big thing or doing countless activities that seem urgent at the time. But being thankful during those good times is something that we ought to do. I think we all can agree with that. The bigger challenge is to be grateful when things aren't going so well, when life is not going the way that we want it to go. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about an extraordinary vision of heaven that he's received. 
But for Paul, this revelatory vision of heaven is linked to an exasperating thorn in his side. Now, obviously, the thorn is a metaphor. He doesn't doesn't say exactly what this thorn is, but it signifies some sort of opposition that's meant to keep him humble. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." God gave Paul the grace and the power to overcome the thorn, but he didn't take the thorn away. And instead of getting angry or despondent about the thorn and the way that it slowed him down, Paul relished how weak it made him. Why why would he do that? I think he did it to to keep him close to dependence on the power of God. Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. And in doing so, he shows that he understands that we must seek God's answer to our problems first. Paul calls out the problem, this bothersome thorn in his side, and he asks for God, he asks for God to remove it. And and I think in doing that, in pleading with God to remove it, I think what he's showing is, is that he wants us to bring, is that God wants us to bring our problems to him. He wants to engage with us. He wants that relationship. Then Paul acknowledges that God's answer was grace and that God's grace is perfected in Paul's imperfections. Paul understood that the weaker he was and the tougher his problems, then even greater the grace and power that God can exert in his life. In his book, Thanks by uh, Robert Emmons, Emmons identifies uh, stories of four extraordinary figures who were able to transcend their considerable pain and cultivate a sense of gratitude for life in spite of what's happened to them and in spite of what's happening around them. So Emmons writes, consider Corey Ten Boom, the Apostle Paul, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Horatio Spafford, each a compelling example of a person who appeared to be thankful in spite of their awful circumstances. Corey Ten Boom, whose family hid Jews in their home during the Holocaust, wrote in the hiding place that she gave thanks for the fleas in her concentration camp barracks because the fleas kept the guards at bay and allowed them some degree of privacy for their devotionals. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed for plotting to kill Hitler. Yet he remained grateful to the end, writing that gratitude changes the pangs of memory into grateful joy. And in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the words joy and and rejoice appear 16 times in four chapters, despite, despite the fact that he was writing the letter from prison, where he was awaiting the trial that could have resulted in his death. From his prison cell, he wrote, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. 
Then, then there, there's the lawyer, Horatio Spafford, who lived with his wife and four daughters in Chicago. In a trip across the Atlantic, his daughters perished when their ship was split in two after colliding with a freighter. He received from his wife a telegram that read, saved alone. So en route to bring her home, Spafford asked the captain of his ship to let him know when they were at the location where his daughters had drowned. In this spot, in their memory, he penned the words to the, to the famous hymn, It is well with my soul. I just want to read two verses from that hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed, blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. So all of these people had every reason to let the feelings that they must have felt just eat them up inside. Feelings of anger, feelings of bitterness, resentment, depression, fear. Why, why me, they must have called out. Like Job who suffered terribly, they may, have, they may have cried out to the Lord, I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. Your hand shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? It would have been much more natural for all of these people to feel this way. And I'm sure they did. I'm sure they had these feelings. How could they not have? Their, their circumstances had brought them to a Nazi concentration camp, facing execution, a dark Roman prison, and dealing with the sudden death of four children. Yet they demonstrated that their faith and their gratitude towards God was not dependent on their life circumstances. They did not believe that they were owed blessings from God. In fact, they lived their lives as blessings to others. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect blessings from God. There's a big difference from feeling that God owes you, that he's obligated to give you blessings versus living in expectation, knowing that God loves you. And God does love you. Love you. He loves us all. He wants to bless us, but it's through his grace that we receive his blessing. And the greatest blessing is God himself and his presence in our lives. His love and grace is given freely. And as Paul said, it is sufficient. It is totally unearned by any of us. And re remember, at the end of the book of Job, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. God ends up blessing Job with wealth, 10 children, and a full life. He lived to 140 years old, and he saw four generations of his family. But like the other four people I mentioned, Job demonstrated his faith and gratitude towards God no matter the circumstances. So I want to tell you about someone who's a little bit closer to home and how he's dealing with a challenging situation. I can tell you he's doing it with more grace uh, than I can even imagine. So last January, my son Michael was diagnosed with a rare sarcoma, a malignant tumor on his head. 
And given that he was only 18 years old at the time and in the middle of his senior year in high school, it took our family by complete surprise. It took us a while to fully grasp what the doctors were telling us. This news just came out of nowhere and it just, it made no sense at all. In any case, we started meeting with doctors and local oncologists recommended that because his cancer was rare and there's not a whole lot of research on it, that they sh we should seek the help of doctors who at least have a little bit of experience with this type of cancer. So they recommended that we go to Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. And we did. The medical team at, at MSK is absolutely fantastic. They developed a plan that included surgery, seven cycles of chemotherapy, followed by radiation therapy, followed by a long plastic surgery process. And just to give you a sense of the process, the chemotherapy portion of it meant almost daily trips into New York City for day-long sessions where IV bag after IV bag of cancer-fighting drugs were administered to Michael. And of course, dealing with the side effects of chemotherapy is always a lot of fun. Uh, anyway, this went on for roughly seven months, February through August of this year. Then the radiation started. That, that was Monday through Friday for 25 days straight. He got a break on the weekends. Uh, he, just, he just finished that treatment last month. So now he's in the process of preparing for uh, the plastic surgery portion of the treatment, which will take the better part of this next year. All that being said, Michael's prognosis is very, very good. All of his scans and all of his tests show that the cancer is gone. Thank God. Tru truly, thank God. Uh, and I have to say, my wife Lori and Michael and I want to extend our deepest thanks to our prayer team and everyone else who's prayed for us through, through this journey. It means so, so much to us. We have felt your prayers all along the way. So I wanted to tell you about Mike's journey because I think there's something to be learned here. Plus, it gives, us, it gives me a chance to brag about him a little bit. So each year in June at Memorial Sloan Kettering, uh, they have a graduation ceremony for all of their current and former patients who are graduating from high school that year. So this year there were 60 graduates. The ceremony was held in a beautiful auditorium at the hospital and all the top administrators and doctors and nurses and personnel were there along with the graduates and their families. Well, this year Michael was asked to be the student graduation speaker the only student graduation speaker at the ceremony. And I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to share just a small portion of his graduation speech, if I could. So uh, he's got some initial comments, and um, we get around to the middle of the, uh, the speech where, where he says, what I've learned is that cancer does not have to signify the end of our paths. It requires a shift in our paths. And I believe that, that that shift is for the better. He's looking for the good in a tough situation. We have had to learn a new kind of perseverance and we have had to gain a newfound strength even when it seems like we are physically weak and everyone around us is healthy. So I know that my path in life is forever changed. I know my path moving forward will be challenging, 
but in the best possible way, because I will have the strength, determination, and compassion that I have learned from this experience to help others. So as we graduate today, let's embrace the challenges in our paths, because from them, the best parts of us will emerge. There's a lot lot in there, there's a lot in his speech. While he's obviously not happy about the cancer, he's appreciating what he can take from the experience. Perseverance, strength, determination, compassion, even in the face of feeling physically weak. And in the last sentence he says, so as we graduate today, let's embrace the challenges in our paths because from them, the best parts of us will emerge. This harkens back to to Paul, to Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians, where where he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's when the God stuff comes out. When when we're at our weakest, when we're at our toughest challenges, that's that's when if we allow him, God will carry us. So this part of this part of his life journey has, been, has not been easy for Mike, but every step of the way he's relied on God's presence and God's grace, whether it's a good day or a bad day, we've had plenty of both. Um, he knows that God has his back and he is cultivating a spirit that appreciates God's grace no matter, no matter what the circumstance is. Now I'd like to consider the idea of of what blessings might come out of diversity. So I started off talking about being thankful in the midst of adversity, no matter what's going on. But, but now we can, I wanna take a look at what blessings might come out of adversity. That's blessings that we otherwise might not experience, but for the adverse situation that we're in. As part of a research study conducted for the book, Thanks by Robert Emmons, Respondents were asked to identify someone in their lives for whom they were grateful. A woman wrote a letter describing the gift of her blindness. This is an excerpt from the letter. I spent most of my life as a a visually impaired person and 10 years ago became totally blind. While I live a productive, happy life with a husband, children, friends, family, etc., I've never really looked at myself or my life in a, grat- in a grateful way, and so felt the first letter I needed to write in the, uh, in the process was a letter to God. I am a religious person, though perhaps not as spiritual as I would like to be. And my situation, as well as other struggles I have had my life, in, in my life, have left me with ambivalence toward God, as well as somewhat with the just taking things for granted attitude. What I realized in starting to look at gratitude more consciously was that I was grateful to God in many ways for the gifts of my life and my blindness. While I would be insane to ever want to be blind or choose to be blind over being sighted, there have definitely been gifts as as a result of my blindness, and and I'm grateful for them. I have seen the goodness in people. I have seen and realized my own strengths. I have compassionate, responsible, independent children. I know that when I meet people, I get right to their hearts, I'm not, and I'm not distracted by outward appearances. <clears throat> I've been given the gift of being able to help, to help other people, which is something that is critical to me in terms of being a role model and a support. While this letter is not my most articulate, 
I wanted to thank you for helping me to see more clearly the gifts of my blindness and the thanks I feel for having had this. Now the next part of the process for me will be to thank the people who have made a difference in my life. But somehow I, I couldn't get to that point before thanking God. So please forgive the pun, but clearly her eyes are wide open to the gifts that God has given her through her blindness. When we express our gratitude to God, it increases our, our capacity to experience a full life without regrets. She says her next step is to thank the people who've made a difference in her life. When we thank the people around us, it increases the love between us. And I like how Carrie and Chris Shook put it in their book, One Month to Live. This is a short passage. When I think about the way gratitude can increase our capacity to love, I think of Dr. Zeus's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. My favorite line in the whole story occurs right after the Grinch has realized the true meaning of Christmas. And some say the Grinch's heart grew three times, three sizes that day. Gratitude expands our hearts the same way. We become fully aware of the details of the life we love, the simple things that delight us, and perhaps most of all, the people God has placed in our lives. Simply stated, gratitude expands our capacity to enjoy life. We should ask ourselves how often we thank those people around us for what they contribute to our lives. I know I, I certainly don't do that enough, and if I did it more, I have no doubt my life would be immeasurably improved. You know, this cancer thing uh, forced Michael to grow up faster than he otherwise would have. And he would tell you that his, that his experience has blessed him with a deeper sense of compassion, for a deeper sense of compassion for others and a deeper knowledge of his own strength. He's had the opportunity to speak at a graduation, uh, to be an ambassador for the Stop and Shop $2 million fundraising campaign for pediatric cancer research for Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital. His story is featured on the MSK website and also in their social media posts. And most importantly, he's met some truly amazing people, including doctors and nurses and, and most especially a roommate who quickly became a dear, dear friend of his who's had a profound effect on Michael's life. He'll be remembered by us forever as an incredible blessing for our son. Unfortunately, he passed away a few uh, weeks ago. We attended his memorial service just this past Saturday and it was absolutely beautiful. Here's something a little bit lighter from a book by Annette Simmons called The Story Factor. It's about Steve Jobs, the brilliant founder of Apple. Steve's biological mother, an unmarried college student, wanted to find a couple to adopt her son, but she wanted to be confident that they would send her unborn baby to college. She found a good prospect, but when Steve was born, the couple did not want a boy. Steve Jobs' mother waited months until she found a couple who promised to send her baby boy to college. Only then did she sign the papers for his adoption. 18 years later, Jobs went to college as his mother had wanted, but he thought that he was wasting his adopted parents' money. After six months at Reed College, he dropped out and he took only classes that sparked his curiosity. One of his favorites was calligraphy. 
He learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, and he found it artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture. He was fascinated in spite of the apparent lack of practical application. None of it made sense until he was, until he was designing the first Mac computer. He designed in multiple typefaces and proportionally spaced fonts. So now the look of most every computer screen you know traces its history back to a calligraphy class taken by a college dropout. Jobs said it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college. But it was very, very clear looking backward 10 years later. The dots connected for Steve Jobs 10 years later. And there's, there's no way that he could have made sense of or predicted how the calligraphy class would affect his life uh, when he was taking the class, when he was going through that. So I think it's a blessing if we can figure out how to connect the dots in whatever adversity we face, even if it's years later. But whether there are dots to connect or not, if we approach adversity with an attitude of thanksgiving, our lives and the lives of the people around us will be vastly improved. Again, Paul writing from prison. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So let me close by simply saying that gratitude leads to contentment. And in a heart filled with gratitude, there's no room for discontentment. Being content is not apathy and it's not laziness. It's just being grateful for where God has you and your own individual journey, wherever that leads you. So today, I pray that even in the midst of adversity, whatever that may look like for you, that your heart is filled with a sense of gratitude. Gratitude for blessings received and blessings not yet received. And especially for the abounding grace of God in all things. Thanks everybody, God bless you. <laughs>